This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanen, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 98, and I am interviewing Amy E. Smith about the relationship between self-worth and people-pleasing, how to find your voice, how to stop being such a people-pleaser, and start being more intentional about your desires and needs. There's a lot of good stuff in this episode, and you can find all the links and resources mentioned at summerinanin.com forward slash 98. That's nine eight. Before we begin, I want to give a big shout out to Lauren Foe for the awesome review that you left, which says Summer shares real advice and tips beyond the love your body messages. She shares practical tips you can do today to start shifts in your life that really work. Thank you so much, Lauren. I greatly, greatly appreciate that. If you haven't left a review for the show on iTunes, you can do that by going to iTunes, searching for Fearless Rebel Radio, then click ratings and reviews and click to leave a review or give it a rating. You can also just go to summerinandand.com forward slash review to find a direct link to that. Second, you can get the free body confidence makeover with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body at summerinandand.com forward slash freebies. And if you can't spell my name, just go to thebodyimagecoach.com. Today's guest is Amy E. Smith. Amy E. Smith is a certified confidence coach, masterful speaker, and personal empowerment expert. Founder of thejoyjunkie.com, Amy uses her roles as coach, writer, podcaster, and speaker to move individuals to a place of radical personal empowerment and self-love. With acute focus on helping people find their voice, she is highly sought after for her uncommon style of irreverence, wisdom, and humor, and has been a featured expert on Fox 5 San Diego and YourTango.com. This is a really good episode. I learned a bunch from talking to Amy, and she's offered some really helpful perspectives that haven't been brought up on the show before, so I think you're really going to enjoy it. Let's get started. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the show. Yay. I'm so excited to hang out with you today. I'm excited to have you here too. So I would love for you to start by telling our listeners how you got into this kind of work that you do. Yeah. Well, I guess way back in the day, a long, long time ago, when I was a wee little girl, I had, uh, I was kind of dying a slow death working my way up in a prestige makeup line. And I was a corporate trainer and I was traveling a lot. And I remember coming home one day and my husband, he kind of knew that I was searching for something and I, I wanted to make a change, but just didn't know what. I had a really great situation in that workplace. So I didn't want to just jump ship without having some direction. And he came home one day and he said, oh my gosh, babe, I heard this person on the radio and it is you. You've been doing this your whole life. And I was like, what, what, what was their profession? What were they? And he said, it was, it was something called a life coach. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's a thing. Okay. And so this was probably in the mid two thousands. And he felt so convicted that it was something that I needed to do that he had written 
to get information from a couple of different coaching establishments. And that was truly kind of the beginning of the journey. And, you know, that was well over 10 years ago now. And the way things have kind of ebbed and flowed, you know, my original niche, what I focused primarily on was relationships and intimate partnerships. And as I did that, I noticed that so much of how people interacted with one another inside of relationship was so much about how they felt about themselves. You know, it had everything to do with their own self-image, self-worth and confidence, which I know you talk about a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's when I really felt like, okay, I need to shift what my, what I'm focusing on. And I really feel like through the years I've honed what I believe to be my little superpower. And that is to help people truly find their voice and use it. So I think that there's two pieces to that, right? Like the finding of the voice is a lot of the internal components, like really believing that you're valuable enough to actually say no to somebody or to establish a boundary or tell your mother-in-law to butt out of your relationship or whatever it happens to be. There's just the internal, I believe I'm valuable enough to say this shit. And then there's the external component of what the fuck do I say? Like, how do I actually say to my partner, can you please not wear socks when we have sex? Can you like, how do I express myself without coming across like a total asshole? And that was a huge, huge message that I had seen in a lot of my students would tell me if I speak up for myself or if I stand up for myself, establish boundaries, say no, fill in the blank, I'm being a dick, I'm being an asshole, or I'm purposely hurting somebody. So it was kind of pulling you know, the covers back on this monumental fallacy that giving voice to our wants, needs, and opinions doesn't have to mean anything acrimonious. It doesn't have to mean anything biting or scathing. And that has really become kind of the nucleus of everything that I do. And you'll hear me talk about it all the time about speak up for yourself, but do it with grace and kindness. And I truly believe whether you're conversing with a partner and and asking for a divorce, or if you are severing ties with a business partner, if you are telling your family that you no longer believe in the religion that you were raised with, I believe you can deliver the most polarizing conversations with the utmost love, gracefulness, and kindness. And um, yeah, so that's, that's really kind of what I do in my little corner of the internet these days. That's so cool. And I know you, you mentioned like you, the primary thing here is really helping people to find their voice. So I'm curious to know what it means to find your voice. Like if, where do we lose it? And how do we find it? That's a great question. Well, I think to answer the question of where do we lose it is, is through all things societal conditioning. So oftentimes what happens is we, as children, do something somewhat vulnerable, like tell somebody we really care about them or show emotion, or we do a number of things and then we get some sort of feedback about them. And then we realize, oh, people only like me if I'm the class clown, if I'm funny. They don't want me to lose my shit. They don't want me to ever be angry or sad. Or maybe you grew up in a family environment where if you were ever upset, you did that in a privacy in privacy of your own room. So how that transpires in your adult life is perhaps you feel that 
your sadness is a burden to people. So maybe in your marriage, you never express how things are really feeling for you. And you learn how to shut those things down. So I think a lot of it comes from our upbringing and our family of origin. But I also think a tremendous amount comes from societal influences, media. Don't even get me started on that, which I'm sure <laughs> you can understand. Mm-hmm. And then also a whole series of relationships that we engage in, whether they are with family, whether they are with intimate partnerships, friendships, we kind of learn the code. And it's all very subconscious, this code of what's acceptable and what allows us to be loved and cared for, right? Because that's all we want. We All we fucking want is to be happy. Like major drivers, the two major drivers are pursuit of pleasure, avoidance of pain. Mm-hmm. That's what we are always searching for. So if we see anything, like if I speak up for myself and my dad thinks horribly of me, that equals pain to us. So what do we do? We decide to become people pleasers. We become liars. We put up a facade and we pretend and pretend and pretend in order to try to please everybody else. So I think the process of what it really, really means to find your voice, I think in a nutshell, has everything to do with self-worth. You can kind of equate those two things. People who speak up for themselves genuinely value who they are at a intimate level, right? And we see this in like the kind of incessant people pleasing behavior that we have going on. We do that because we think that it's safe. We think, okay, this will rock the boat the least. But the subconscious message that we are sending to ourselves every time we perpetually put everybody else ahead of us is we are saying your wants, your desires, your needs, your opinions are far more important than mine. That's the message that's happening over and over and over again. I'm not valuable enough to give voice to my opinions, wants, desires, or needs. So once you start to disrupt that undercurrent, then you start finding that you're not as invested in how you're received. So, I mean, it's it's definitely not something that we can just tidy on up in a 40-minute interview. But <laughs> um, yeah. But it's, you know, it, it really is that it's not just having a script, knowing what to say to your mom or your mother-in-law or whoever it is. It's what fuels that underneath it. It's kind of like, what is that fuel in the car? Is it giving you a bumpy ride or is it making it smooth sailing? That's, that is your relationship to self is your fuel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's great that you just said that. Like, cause one of the, one of the quotes that I had pulled from, from your website was if you constantly do and say shit, instead of saying what you really want, need and feel you are sending yourself a huge subconscious message that everyone else's wants, needs and opinions are more important than yours. And it's such a it's such an important point, because every time we do that, we're essentially depleting our self worth. And just keeping ourselves stuck in in that place. But I'd love you to talk about some of the patterns of behavior that we perhaps subtly fall into that perpetuate this. So what I mean by that is, you know, like what in in what ways do we do this without even realizing it? Yeah. Okay. There's a couple. A huge one is when you don't ever establish an opinion for something. So for instance, if everyone at the office is like, where should we go to eat? And 
you're like, wherever, I don't care, wherever you guys want to go. No, have a fucking opinion because guaranteed there's something going on in there where you're like, please don't pick Chinese, please don't pick Chinese or, you know, (laughs) anywhere, anywhere, but you know, the burger joint or whatever, you know, you might have something, a very specific opinion, but you just, you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to, you know, for me, I have, I, and I'm sure your audience has, has this as well. I have certain dietary restraints as far as like what, what meat I will eat, you know, based off of what I've found is synergistic with my body. So I have to kind of be audible about that. I definitely feel like it's mine to manage. I don't feel like it's everybody else's to manage, but I can't just necessarily go with the flow and honor what I need as well. So it's in those little moments, like where we just, we will say like, I don't care wherever you want, even just starting to flex the muscle of having an opinion. And I find that sometimes people at the very beginning of this have been so used to doing what everybody else wants that they're not even sure what they want. Mm -hmm. And so there's almost this courting process where you have to start letting go of over there and start getting more in tuned here and looking at, well, gosh, what, what does sound really delicious to eat or where would I really want to go after work or where would I want to meet up with this person and actually have an opinion? It's just a very, very small baby step. Another huge element in which we do this is we deflect compliments. You know, if somebody try, and this isn't very much indicative of your self-worth, right? You don't feel worthy of the commendation. So whether it's you did an amazing job on this report or your hair looks gorgeous or whatever, we go, oh God, no, oh God. And we try to talk them out of it or, oh, I wasn't even as prepared as I thought I could. Oh my God. And it's like somebody handing you this gorgeous gift and you smash it on the ground. So it's these small little things that we can do to start saying, Hey, I matter and I, I'm valuable. And none of that has, you don't have to be a dick about any of it. You don't have to be a dick to have an opinion. You don't have to be an ass to say, thank you so much for saying that. I really appreciate that. You're not being cocky, arrogant asshole. You're just accepting a really beautiful gift from somebody. Those are two just very small things, but I do want to underline that nobody becomes wrapped up in this people-pleasing behavior or being highly invested in what other people think on purpose, right? Like none of us go, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice all of my self-worth and just care whatever. But no, it's a process that we go through, like I said, based off of a lot of different experiences in our world and we're wired for belonging. I mean, we know that's one of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We need to belong to a group to feel safe. It's part of primitive man, our evolution, right? Mm -hmm. So of course there's a drive to belong. However, we don't have to belong to a group in order to survive. We used to right? We had to be a part of a tribe in order to survive. And the way in which that has kind of evolved over time is now we go, I must be liked. I need to be accepted. I have to belong in order to survive. And it feels like life and death. So the reason I bring that up is so that you have compassion with yourself. First of all, that we don't consciously choose this path and that we do have conscious mind and we can start to unravel this. If you, if you are starting to notice 
these sorts of patterns or behaviors that you employ regularly. Now with consciousness, we can shift that and we can decide that we're not going to be as invested in other people's opinions. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's such a, an issue with, within our culture because women, like as soon as we're born, we're made to feel ashamed of our wants and needs and desires in a lot of ways. We're made to feel ashamed for speaking up. We are criticized for being a bitch if we have an opinion. And so I think it's it's really important to identify like the culture the cultural paradigm that's created this in us and to to use that to know that it's it isn't your fault. Like you're getting this message from the moment you're born when you're if you're a female. That's right. Like of course you're going to think that. Like of course, it, because it's all results based, right? So like if we get all this love and adoration from our parents when we do when we, you know, we win the spelling bee, we we register that as oh, I'm only valuable for my smarts, right? Mm -hmm. Of course you're going to do that. You're going to interpret all of that stuff as, okay, the result of acquiescing or giving in to mom and dad or never rocking the boat or quieting my emotions or any of these things equals safety or tranquility or whatever. Of course, we're going to chase that same behavior. And then it's not really until we get into our 30s, 40s and 50s and beyond where we go, holy shit, that doesn't work. Like that doesn't lead to happiness. Here I've done all the things. I've checked off all the boxes. I am the specific size right? Like I look the way society wants me to look. I've have the spouse. I have the baby. I have the career. And then why am I so goddamn empty? Mm-hmm. And it's because we're so concerned about out there instead of what is happening internally and what like we already have it. And that's the biggest lie that we're told from our society is that happiness is out there somewhere. And it's like, fuck, no, you guys, you already have it. You just stop looking outside so much and turn inward. But there's a lot of pain there, right? Like there's the shit that dad said to you. And there's that ex-boyfriend who told you this. And there's all that stuff that you have to look at in order to heal and find that internal power. But it's not always fun. It's not shit and glitter all the time. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I know. That's the thing, right? I think it's it's like, oh my God, do I have to feel hard feelings? Like it is, it is painful, but you can't bypass it. Like you cannot just go over it. Otherwise it's, I mean, it's a whack-a-mole. It's just going to keep showing up in a different variation. Oh, that's right. That's absolutely right. Because you then get to that great job. And it's not enough all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. It's not enough because we dictate what's enough, right? Like if I ask, if I were to ask anybody, what would make you enough? What makes somebody enough? People be like, oh, (laughs) I ask that to my clients all the time. (laughs) Do you? Because there is even the dictionary definition of self-worth is one's own assessment of value. Yes. It's it's created by us. There's no worthiness store that you can go pick up some self-worth while you're there. You create it. It comes from that belief. Mm -hmm. But we believe that our worth is in how somebody feels about us or if they love us or if we're accepted or blah, 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 blah. And I love talking about emotions related to this because just because you love who you are or have value in yourself does not mean 
you are not going to experience negative emotion. Yes. There's this amazing quote by Madonna that says, um, power is being told you are not loved and not being destroyed by it. Yes. And I'm like, yes, being told you are not loved can hurt and be trying and devastating and sad. And it doesn't have to destroy you. And I think that's one of the biggest things is learning how to have a really down day, learning how to be with sadness or anger or frustration and allow it to not be a perpetual state of being, you know? Yeah, there's a huge difference between receiving some kind of criticism or negative feedback and feeling sad about it and still knowing like, okay, I'm still a valuable human versus taking that and thinking, oh my God, what is wrong with me? And just letting it crush you. And I mean, both situations feel bad, but the difference is one of them, you still know you're enough. And I think that that's the problem is that people... And a lot of it has to do with just a lot of the bullshit that's out there in in the whole like self-help world that like your life, you can just make everything positive. Like you can just be positive. Like you can be grateful and feel shitty at the same time. Like those things can coexist. That's right. And just because you learn how to love yourself and just because you have a great sense of self-worth doesn't make you invincible. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it, I do, I call that when self-help goes bad, when people think that they, oh shit, I have all these tools and then they beat themselves up for not using them. And I'm like, you're just a human. That's okay. You know, it's okay. We are just navigating life the best that we can. And I think one, sometimes what we're really being called to do is just be with our emotion, period. I think that's what I think, okay, so if we're talking about related to a lot of the people that I work with, I tend to have two primary types of people, incredible perfectionists mm-hmm. or massive people pleasers. Yeah. And they often go hand in hand too. <laughs> they do. They go very, very much hand in hand. The, the perfectionists tend to be extremely high achieving, yes. very control oriented and a little more abrasive and loud. And then the people pleasers tend to be more meek, sweet, kind, a little bit more quiet and shy. That's just tends to be in my arena. But the deal, like, even if we look at people pleasing, right, I'll give you an anecdote. And it all relates to emotion. So let's say I had a client who wants to book a time slot and I don't have any availability, right? And they say something that spurs a guilty emotion in me. Like they go, oh my gosh, really? You can't fit me in? What am I going to do? I really need to talk to you. This is just so dire, blah, 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 right? In that, emo- in that moment, I might feel a surge of guilt, Okay. Mm -hmm. And that guilt is going to fuel my behavior, right? So if I wasn't totally sure about it and aware and worked through guilt, likely I'm just going to respond to it. I want it to go away. I want, it's painful. Avoid the pain. So what can I do? Oh no, I'll fit, I'll fit you in. I'll figure it out at the cost of maybe date night, my own unwind time, my fitness time, whatever, right? It's a cost to me. So what is happening in that moment is I don't want to be with something that feels uncomfortable enough to wade through it and make a positive choice for myself. Now I've gotten to the point where I can really recognize what is my responsibility and what isn't. 
So with guilt in particular, guilt is designed to reroute poor behavior for when we've done something shitty, right? Like if I slap somebody out of malice, I should feel kind of guilty about that. That's a dick move, right? Like I need to go clean it up. But just because I have boundaries in place for my business and so I'm not able to accommodate somebody, that is me taking on their, their responsibility. I'm not actually responsible for them. I'm responsible to be the best version of Amy possible. So in that moment, I can work with that guilt and go, okay, I'm, I'm actually not feeling guilt. I'm feeling uncomfortable because in order to stand up for myself, this person isn't going to get what they want. Usually what we're feeling is not guilt in the sense of I've done something wrong. We're taking on responsibility for how somebody else feels, which we can't do a damn thing about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we're just assuming too. We we think that we're bearing like like an assumption (laughs) a lot of the time versus the reality, which is a lot of times people are like, oh, okay. Like I understand. And they're they're not upset. Like they can they they'll they they survive. That's right. And that's why one of the the major kind of quotes that I, I use and talk about all the time is you are responsible for your intention, not your reception. So for instance, I did I'll give you something that's somewhat polarizing. I did kind of a politically based episode on my podcast. And I had people who came out of the woodwork and were just loved it, loved it, loved it. I had other people who thought it was just the like a horrible move. Can't believe you did that. Lost listener, whatever. And then I had people who were like, Meh, indifferent. This is such a perfect metaphor for how we try to control our reception. We want to make sure that every single person sees us favorably. The problem with that is there is literally no way to control all of those various degrees of reception. The only thing that we have control over is our intention. So that is why I always encourage people like get connected to what you are intending. If you are trying to be an asshole, then yeah, then you should probably feel a little bit bad. You're behaving out of malice. That's unbecoming of you, right? But most of the time when we're setting up a boundary with somebody, we're actually doing that rooted from an intention of love, of compassion, of wanting to take care of ourselves, our family, our relationships, being honest. There's so much other stuff that we're actually intending besides being mean. But we think if we have an opinion that is opposite than somebody else, we are behaving poorly. And so I always tell people, I'm like, listen to me, you are only being a bitch if you're being a bitch, like not just because you have a difference of opinion from somebody else. Like I get, I get worked up about it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so true. It's so true. But I think that's the, I mean, that again comes back to like, why is it, it's, it's always acceptable for men, but when women do it, it's like, you're, you're a bitch or you're out of line or don't rock the boat. And so it's, it, it frustrates me 
to no end to see to see that like just to see women get criticized for their opinions or being told like oh you're too loud you're too bossy like just always too much we can't please anybody you know but i think it's it's important to see that dynamic too and to be like hmm like if a man said that what would people think (laughs) they'd probably be okay with it they would probably think oh good for him for you know setting setting that boundary or stating his opinion and starting to, I, I, I think it's really helpful to notice like those gender biases and differences in order to empower ourselves as women to stand up for ourselves more effectively as well. Yeah. And it, you know, I think that there's ways in which we can do that in very subtle ways that in, invite conversation, because I feel very strongly, especially with where things are headed in our political climate, that we don't get anywhere by chastising people, by yelling at each other. You know, I mean, think about if somebody was in marriage counseling and they were talking to each other the way that Republicans and Democrats talk to each other, the, the counselor would be like, uh, you guys are sorry. This is not going to work because <laughs> all you're doing is yelling insults. All you're doing is yelling insults. So it's acrimonious. It doesn't work. The only way that we can actually foster communication is if we speak to one another with some element of respect. So even in those situations, like what you were bringing up, like if somebody tells you you're too loud, you're too sensitive, you're too this, just saying like, Hey, I didn't know that there was actually like a, a standard for that. I'm just curious what, (laughs) where did you come to that conclusion that this was past the limit and who came up with that limit? Like, I would just love to know where you came up with that. Right. And just, have a conversation. Like who gets to decide who's too loud? Mm-hmm. Who's, who gets to decide who's too sensitive or too masculine or whatever? I went through this a little bit when, <laughs> so my husband and I got married in 99. So we've been, and we've been together for 20 years. And when we first got married, everybody thought I got knocked up. Like they thought for sure, the only reason you would get married when you're 20 years old is if you were going to have a baby. And I'm like, Oh no, we really don't. We don't like them that much. You know, like <laughs> I was always kind of a smart ass about it. Cause I have never wanted children. So somebody said to me, I think I was checking out in line at Costco. And this guy says, he, he says something about like, you're too young to be married. Right. So I'm like, Oh God, I roll again. And I go, Oh, I didn't know that there was a limit. Yeah. Is there, <laughs> I was like, uh, is there, is there a limit, you know? And, and he was like, oh, well, just been there, done that. And I know it doesn't work. And I said, oh, okay, let me get this straight. And this was, bef- this was back in the day when I was extremely combative and always kind of looking for a fight. And I was not handling myself with grace and kindness, but I said, let me get this straight. So you tried it and you failed at it, but you, so you're now an authority and now you want to tell me why I won't be successful. And, and he was like, uh, uh, and I was like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But that has been a very real evolution of even how I have found my voice, because I also hear this a lot where people feel, feel like they are expressing themselves, but it always comes out biting and snappy. And that was definitely how I started primarily with conversations with my mother. And then as I have really gotten involved in this work and learned verbiage and how to actually speak up for myself, I say things totally differently. So in that scenario, 
I would probably now have said, you know what, with all due respect, I don't want to talk about my personal relationship with strangers. I hope that you can understand. Like, that's what I would have said now. Yeah. So I think that's worth underlining. Yeah. So that's actually, it brings up a really good, good point because yeah, I used to be the same way. Like I was super combative, you know, I was like always the teenager that was just adults hated me. And, you know, I had a lot of anger that was, was under the surface, which, which caused that. And I had a lot of like, you know, had to kind of just process and work through some of that. But I'm, I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, because I think I, what I've heard come up a bunch is for people who do feel that way, like who feel either challenged or criticized or, disrespected, they immediately go into fight or flight mode. And so it's so hard for them in that moment to operate from a place of grace and kindness because they immediately go into fight and combative. So I'd love to know like, if there's some strategies or some ways, like how did you work through that or what do you suggest for people? Yeah, this is, this is such a good one. And so with regards to controlling yourself in the, in the moment, I think that it would be really a great idea to get down on paper, get ahead of this as much as possible. So possibly writing down the person and what they say or the topic or trigger that they say that elicits a typical go-to response from you. So writing perhaps the person and their comments in one column and then how you tend to respond in the column on the right, because what we do in the moment is we justify our poor behavior. We go, well, if my husband wasn't such a dick, then I wouldn't have had to fly off the handle. And if he would just pay the goddamn bill and you know what, you know what I mean? We validate why we behaved poorly. But if you can kind of assess this outside of that intense emotional feeling that happens right during the argument or whatever, and you can kind of be honest and contemplative about it, you can start really noticing where you go wrong. Because keep in mind, we cannot change anybody else. We can't make your mom be less naggy. We cannot make your husband magically, you know, initiate sex. We can't do, we can't make anybody do anything. All you can do is control how you show up and how you behave. So one avenue would be to get ahead of it a little bit. The second thing that I would really, really encourage you to do is to adopt this idea of a do-over. Because a lot of times in the very beginning, when you're learning new tools or new ways to say things, or even asking for what you need, like, hey, honey, like with a partner, I really want to be there for you, but I am so fried. I can't even pay attention to this conversation. Can we, can we talk about this maybe in a half an hour, even I just need a little decompression time, even little things like that, learning how to speak up for yourself. Sometimes it's really clunky. And so we don't do it. And then we explode on our spouse because we need unwind time. And then you have to declare the do over. You have to go back and say, Hey, honey, that was not about you. I should not have lashed out. What I really needed was some downtime. And I should have asked for that. Right. And you have to go clean it up. So I think there's a little bit of some gestation period where you kind of have to honor that this is clunky and weird and you might have to go declare a do-over. You might have not spoken up for something and then go back and tell your mom like, hey, you know what? I think I said yes to that a little too quickly after looking at my schedule. I just don't know if I can take on one more thing. Would it be possible if we postponed? 
You know what I mean? A lot of times I think we think whatever that interaction, the first interaction was, we can't go back and clean it up. Like you, you can do that. You can go back. You can say, Hey, you know, that conversation we had the other day, I didn't, I wasn't totally honest and that's not fair to you or whatever it happens to be. And then I I have one other final tool that I'd be happy to share too, if we have time. Yeah. Yeah. No, we got lots of time. Oh, okay, cool. Go for it. Another tool that I love to work with, with clients and students is it's really around awareness of what is going on for you emotionally. Because especially with most relationships, like what you were saying, we go into fight or flight. Something feels uncomfortable, like it's either too sad or too dramatic or angry. And so we either totally shut down and hide out. Usually that's a people-pleasing method. Say whatever you need to say to make it stop. Or we become extremely combative and we fight. And that's usually a lot more aggressive, right? But also equally as ineffective. Mm -hmm. So Usually there's an emotion that's happening. So I'll give people this acronym and it's just NAC, N-A-C. So the first piece is notice and name. That's what the N stands for, notice and name. And again, this might have to be after the fact. You might have to do a little journaling or do a do-over around this. Like, okay, like the example I gave earlier, notice and name. Okay, I am feeling a tremendous amount of guilt right now. You know, my, this client really, really needs to see me and I don't have the space for her. Okay. This is a feeling of guilt. Ask what is really happening underneath this emotion? A stands for ask. What is this really about? And so that's typically like, okay, this is not really about guilt in the sense that I've done something wrong or that I'm not proud of. This is just a matter of, we have a difference of opinion or a difference of desire, right? And that's uncomfortable, period. Yeah. So kind of looking at that. And then C stands for choose. And there's two things that you're going to choose. You're going to choose your behavior and you're also going to choose your self-talk. So in that scenario, it means saying to yourself over and over again, like, Amy, you honored your own schedule. You have not done anything wrong. You took care of yourself you spoke with kindness, whatever. It's talking to yourself in a kind way about that choice. And then looking at your behavior. Are you ruminating on it? Are you saying, oh my gosh, no, I'll fit you in, even though you don't have the bandwidth to do so? Is it bitching and moaning about it? Are you stalking them out on Facebook to see if they're talking shit on you? Like, what is your behavior that is following suit? What are you doing with that emotion? And I'm sure you probably see this a lot with kind of the weight awareness community and body positivity, where there can be a pull to rectifying those emotions through food. But that's just one vice. You know, some people, it's something noble, like their work or working out a ton or throwing themselves into their kids. But all of it is doing the same thing. I don't want to feel this uncomfortable thing. And none of those things have to be a major problem unless they're influencing you to not feel what you feel. Now, with this whole NAC acronym, again, you might not catch it in the moment, right? So I had this situation a while ago, and I realized what I was feeling in the moment was total irritation. I was irritated with my husband for using a specific pan to cook his food. (laughs) I wanted to use that pan. (laughs) And, and I got all irritated 
abnormally irritated about it. And he was like, what is going on with you? And I'm like, oh, I just really wanted to use that pant. You know, like just kind of, and I, so I stopped and I thought about it and I went, okay, what is this? This is irritation. What is really happening underneath this emotion? And I went, you know what? It's because I have a shit ton of stuff to do on my plate. And I just realized I was going to have to take just a few minutes prior to that, realized that I was going to have to take one of my very senior dogs back to the vet, which I felt like I was living at the vet. So I was really frustrated about other shit going on in my life, not my husband and not my behavior was not, should not have been geared towards him. So once I realized that, then I could say, honey, that was not about you. So my choice of behavior then was to apologize and say, that was unbefitting of me. That had nothing to do with you. I was dealing with other shit. Will you forgive me? Right. Ask for forgiveness. So you can play around with this in a lot of different ways. Like for instance, if you notice that you're feeling an extreme amount of anger, your behavior might be to go for a run or to call a friend and vent it out as opposed to screaming and yelling at your partner or keying somebody's car. Let's hope that's not the case. Um, (laughs) But it's, it's allowing yourself to choose a more positive behavior. But again, a lot of times you will have to do this retrospectively, yeah. you know, like sometimes I'll tell people to use it like at night and just kind of go, okay, what happened today that I was feeling something that really influenced a way in which I behaved and kind of unpack it. And then you can go, okay, next time I'm going to do this, like declare a do-over. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of times, especially when anger is the first reaction, there's, there's some level of pain underneath and it's, we have to like go inwards to kind of explore what that pain might be, which is the icky part that most people want to avoid. And anger, anger is a more readily available emotion and response. That's right. And I would say, you know, if you're in that immediacy of something kind of volatile, like anger to the best of your ability. And, and I had to learn this very early on with my husband. I had to like muster everything in me and go, I am so incredibly angry with you right now. I can't even be around you. I'm going to say shit. I don't mean I need. And so we learned very quickly. Like if we are really, really pissed, we have to separate for a good two hours and really calm down and think about it. Yeah. But it's, it's having those sort of agreements about it. Cause I'm like, I'm going to lose my shit on you right now. You know? <laughs> But I'll say it out loud and then go, I can't, I cannot right now. And that, I mean, it has been years since that has happened because we do have kind of ridiculous communication between the two of us. But but there was definitely some alliances that had to be struck about how we are going to operate. Yeah. Yeah. For me, for me, that's a very helpful thing to just to recognize it and just kind of be like, I can't right now. I can't because I'm going to say stuff that I don't mean that I'm going to regret. So I need a minute. <laughs> and, that's right. Um, yeah, that happened to me twice this week with 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 my husband and my mom, <laughs> two different yeah. occasions over like really small things. But I just I know my tender spots. And I was just like, can't right now. <laughs> And and it was just a minute. Like, I just needed a minute to just be like, okay, all right. But even being able to just interrupt myself with that, it can be so helpful. Yes. And it can be also extra difficult if you're in partnership with somebody, whether it's your mom or your spouse, who always wants to talk it out immediately, like right now. Yeah. And that I would even have a conversation about that 
at a different time during a really, really neutral time to say like, Hey, I am not running away. And I'm not saying let's never talk about it. The reason I need that little respite is I am deathly afraid that I will say stuff to you that I cannot take back. And I want to be far more level-headed and less emotionally charged when we talk about something as serious as this. Mm-hmm. And get, again, getting ahead of it, like, honey, I will not, I'm, because that's a, the fear is like, oh, if you don't want to address it right now, we're never going to talk about it and sweep it under the rug. no. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes you need to converse about that ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's sometimes it's also just accepting that you're not going to be able to change people too. I know in relationships like, like, you know, partnerships, you know, whether it's like, you know, myself and my husband, it's, you know, it's, there's a lot of, you know, compromising and working together because we both love each other and we want the best for each other. Other relationships like the one that I have with my mom, there's just certain things that I've had to come to terms and accept that she's just never going to change. She will always right. be that way. And so really letting go of, you know, me trying to change her, which I think comes back to your point about, you know, you're responsible for the intention, not the reception. I think so often we focus on that reception. And I know that this comes up a lot, I think, with people's parents, like we're like, oh, but if they just listen to me or <laughs> if they right. just did what I said, you know, especially if you have aging parents, <laughs> then everything would be fine. Your life would be fine. But, you know, we have to we have to accept that we can't change people. That's right. And you will probably never stop wanting that. Yes. You know, and I think there's a piece of that, too, where we we think if I can't have it, there's no use wanting it. It's like, no, you're allowed to always wish that your parents had an understanding or your kids or your partner or your sister, whoever. You can always want that, but it's about really acknowledging what is your responsibility and what isn't. And that's really hard to grasp because we think and we're programmed to think, if only I did one more thing or phrased it a different way or offered a different option, then maybe it would be miraculously rectified. But the bottom line is they have to make the choice. We can't love somebody into changing. That's mm-hmm. not even a thing. Yeah. They they have to want to do it. Yeah. 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 So good. We could go on in that direction for a while, but I know <laughs> we're at the end here, but you've offered so much good stuff and helpful, helpful advice. So where can people find more of you? Yes. My hub is thejoyjunkie.com and junkie is J-U-N-K-I-E. And you, you can, I have had like free workbooks and audiobooks and stuff that you'll see right, right there when you land on the site. And I have a weekly podcast as well. So you'll kind of, it's the nucleus of everything that I do. So you can start, start stalking me over there. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really love chatting with you. Oh, likewise. I had a blast. Thanks for letting me get worked up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Rock on. You can find all the links, including Amy's podcast and everything else at summerinandin.com forward slash 98. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. That's another one in the books. We are getting close to the 100th episode. Oh my God, what am I going to do for that? You shall see. Hopefully it's something good. (laughs) I actually haven't decided yet, so I got to figure that out. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have suggestions on what I should do for the 100th episode, let me know. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next time. Rock on.